Tonight we're continuing on the theme off, off of uh, conference, Revival of the Gifts. Revival of the Gifts. Some people say, all you do, all you Pentecostals do is talk about tongues. Well, that's not really true. If you go and you listen to every message I preach, you'll find very little on tongues and the gifts, actually. You'll find a lot of word on character and morality and all the different subjects of the Bible. And then once or twice a year, we'll do a few segments on the gifts of God that are within you. And so tonight we're going to look at the gift of prophecy. Now, it's kind of funny because it's actually what just happened. So they just acted out my message tonight. Amen. You know, starting with St. Ellie. St. Ellie went off tonight, the rails. Amen. She went off the rails in a good way, in a good way. Amen. And uh, that, you know, and I, I've been encouraging the team for a long time to really strive to write songs. So they're meeting this Friday night, I think. that's That song was one that she just wrote, and there's a couple more they've got, but they're reading this Friday night to start writing some songs. Because you, you saw something activated there in a faith that you don't get from singing a cover tune. See, that song came out of her spirit. When something, you know, I can listen to someone else preach a message, and then I can turn around and I can preach the message, but it's completely different. If I'm digging in the Word or if I'm in prayer, and then all of a sudden that thing blows up in my spirit, I preach it in a whole different manner than if I'm just preaching something that someone else preached. It's the same way with singing a song. You know, you own the song. It's yours. It came out of your heart. It's your baby, so to speak. And you could tell the way she went off on that, that was her baby. Amen. And she burped a baby tonight. Amen. Burped a baby, fed the baby, changed the baby's diaper. She did her all tonight. Amen. That was good. Amen. Good stuff. Good stuff. So we know, you know, if you're, if you're newer to the faith, you know, it's amazing. The Bible says that God will do nothing unless he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. So before God does something in the earth, he tells somebody to start saying it. And, of course, we can go all the way back into the Old Testament, the book of Joel, chapter 2. Verse 28, it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. And also on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And we know this was prophesied several hundred years before it happened. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Book of Acts, now we're up in chapter 2. The Spirit of God fell in the upper room. You had, you know, those people up there all gathered together waiting for what Jesus said was the promise of the Father. Well, this was the promise of the Father. He was going to pour out His Spirit on who? Is anyone in here part of all? So you can be qualified. All flesh 
and your sons and daughters. See, it was only the priests, prophets, and kings in the Old Covenant that could operate under the power of the Holy Ghost. Priests, prophets, and kings, had, an, had that's who God visited to speak to the earth. But he said, I'm about to upgrade planet earth with my sons and daughters and your sons and daughters will prophesy in those days. Everybody says those days are these days. Amen. And that's a good thing. So Peter, after they had accused him of being drunk, after they'd walked out into the streets speaking in tongues, prophesying, Every man heard them in their own language. Peter, standing up with the 11 in verse 14, said, Men of Judea and all who dwell on Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, I want you to know something. Just like people mock Pentecostals today, where people who pray in tongues, prophesy, lay hands on the sick for healing, cast out demons, just as even church people mock people for doing that today, guess what? These church people mocked them for doing it back then. Anytime you bring the supernatural into the church, you will have the mockers awakened. Those who will not believe in that part of the the word of God. Some just won't do it. Some say you don't need all that. Well, I think we do. You know, I've, I've been challenged over the years by the culture as every pastor in America has, and most pastors break to the challenge. And they're, they're challenged, you know. You need to put these gifts away so that you can get more people in church. Because some people won't come to church because of these gifts. And so that's, that's a real issue that if you're, you know, if you ever find yourself witnessing, do I tell them about the Holy Ghost? Because some people won't believe it and sure won't receive it. So we have to make this decision. Do we not preach parts of the Bible because some people will not receive it? And, you know, a couple years ago, I was, again, kind of talking with the Lord about this. And one day, I remember it was as clear as crystal. He said to me, son, don't build the church for the people that don't want to be there. Because most people that won't embrace the gifts, just check their life. They ain't embracing much else about God either. Let me say that again. People who don't embrace the Holy Spirit gifts usually don't embrace that much about God anyway. Or they've just been so deceived in their early learning of the gospel and they've hardened their hearts such against it that they just refuse to receive or even believe that these things are for today. And then we have another problem. So we tell people, no, today God wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Well, you told me healing was for today, but I prayed for a sick person. They didn't get healed, so it's not for today. And I say, show me a by in the Bible. Show me in the Bible besides Jesus. And even Jesus was restricted in some times 
from doing certain works for certain people. You remember when he went to his hometown? And it said there he could do no mighty works, save he laid his hands on a few sick folk. One translation said those with minor ailments and healed them. So in his hometown, because of their unbelief, either how was he restricted? I don't understand all that. And I don't understand it today. People say, well, if it's God's will for everyone to get healed, why don't everybody get healed? That's a good question. And I'll find that out when I get to heaven. And then when you get to heaven, I'll tell you. Amen. But do you not believe it because every single person does not receive it? No, I won't even believe it. if I, I refuse to not believe it even if I don't receive it. I remember one day I had some bug or some virus and I was puking in the toilet and I went, this is a bad time to believe for healing right here. When you feel great, it is so easy to say, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. But when you're hugging the toilet, you know, at that moment and that time, or when you've got, you know, a report that's not good, that's the tough time to believe God for healing. Why? Because there's evidence that you're not. There's two kinds of evidence, and this is what we have to believe as Christians. There's two kinds of evidence. There's physical evidence, and there's faith evidence. And the Bible definitely makes a distinction, and he puts one in the present and one in the future. How many of y'all are preaching ahead of me? He puts one in the present and one in the future. Remember he's, what he said in Hebrews 11? Faith is the, or the evidence of something what? Hoped for or not seen. Faith is the evidence. The amplified version of that in the Greek, it literally says, faith is the title deed of something not yet in your possession, but you own it. So it's very difficult when we live human lives in this human world to say we have something when there's no physical evidence. To say we have it because there is a faith evidence, people call us crazy. Right? They call us crazy. When you're, when you know, I, I, who was I was talking to the other day? Um, oh, no, I was listening to a video. And Trey Smith was talking about when his mother was healed of cancer. And he made the statement. He said, when my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given just a few months to live, he said, she put scriptures all over our home. And she began to say, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm, she would read all the healing scriptures all day long. And she would go to the doctor and the doctor would say, how do you feel? And she'd say, well, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. And he said, it got awkward and downright weird at times. But guess what happened? She got healed. She didn't die. And the doctors didn't like what she was saying until one day they went in to look and there wasn't no more cancer. And they couldn't give an answer for it. 
They couldn't give an answer for it. And again, I have experienced this throughout my life. I'm standing on things right now. I got a pain in this shoulder that I, I was bench pressing about three or four years ago, and this shoulder popped, and it's been hurting ever since. And I'm believing God. And the only reason I'm telling you that is to say, evidence of pain says you're not healed. Evidence of faith says you are. Now, yeah. Just tonight, while we were doing praise and worship, my back was killing me. It felt like it was breaking in half. And my body kept saying, sit down, sit down. I thought, no, I'm not giving into it. I'm not sitting down. In the last 10 minutes of her leading us, the pain left. So the pain left. And this happens to us all the time. I mean, I believe God. I have sit and saw myself healed so many times. But then again, like, there's a couple things I'm standing for in healing right now. I'm believing for all my hair to grow back. No, I'm just kidding. I really am not having a problem with that. I just thought I'd bring that up for all you folks that are like Jeff, you know. Hair today, gone tomorrow, you know. You know what I mean? It's like, poof. It's gone. But uh, (laughs) we're going to get Kyle to lay hands on everybody. So his sister, he, she came to church with him. This is when you all first started coming here. One day you walked up and you introduced me to your sister. She looks at me and she says, so who has the best hair? And their hair was identical. I'm like, that's just wrong. But, you know, I'm just saying, there is evidence. And then there's, there's physical evidence and faith evidence. You choose one or the other, or I try to say, I'm enforcing one law above another. Just like, you know, gravity says you can't fly, but when I get in an airplane, I say, watch me. Right? Gravity? Okay, fly, Dave. Fly again. Didn't fly very high, did I? Or for very long. But I did fly. But I could put an airplane under me. I could fly all day, right? Faith is that higher law. The law of the spirit of life. Everybody say the law of the spirit of life. Romans. Has set me free from what? The law of what? Sin and death. And, you know, this hit me a few months back because I didn't really understand it, but I I thought, that's true. I was reading somebody, and they made this statement. They said, a lot of people read that, and they think that's the law of Moses. Like the law of Moses is something bad. And they think, oh, it's the law of sin and death. No, no, the law of sin and death is not the law of Moses. It's the law of the fallen nature. Sin, when it is conceived, brings forth death. That's a law. And the law of the spirit of life is the spirit of God gives life. So the law of sin gives death. The law of the spirit gives life. It's one law that's higher over the other law. has nothing to do with the Ten Commandments. And and people mix that up. The law is good. The law is perfect. It really is. It just found weakness in the flesh. Nothing wrong with the law. The law is God saying this is where you ought to live. 
That's why he said not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until everything's done. The law's still telling you don't kill people. Don't murder, right? That's good. That's good. The law's still saying, husbands, you know, don't commit adultery on your wives. That's good. Lying is bad. That's good. The law is good. But guess what? The law of sin and death ain't good. That's the law that says sin when it's conceived, brings forth death. Now, to see this in operation in a Bible story that is, I, I again, I go back, you know, 40 years when I began to discover these things. Here I am reading one day, and Jesus says, he heals the sick man, and then he says, they said, uh, he said, your sins are forgiven. Remember that? And they got mad at him. Who are you to forgive sin? Only God forgives sin. And you know what Jesus said to them? What is easier to say to this man? Rise and be healed or your sins are forgiven. In other words, when you do away with the law of sin and death, the other law comes into motion. And so the Christian is fighting their whole life trying not to sin because of the desire of the flesh to pull you in. And God's not trying to say don't sin because he doesn't want you to have fun. He's saying you don't understand that sin is going to kill you. And I'm trying to get you in the law of the spirit, which is going to give you life. Sin destroys everything it touches. It is corruption, right? And he's telling us that. And so we turn our whole perspective, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. So, you know, l- l- look at it this way. Okay, like uh, years ago, uh, when, when people started really having health crisis, because, you know, when the processed food industry took off, that's when all the sickness started in, in our, I mean, epidemically, right? Diabetes, metabolic syndrome, cancers, all that. You know, a large portion of it's diet-related. It's lifestyle. So they came out with this sweet, and they said, everybody's getting fat from sugar, so we're going to come up with something that don't make you fat. So they gave you NutraSweet. Remember that? And then when they gave you NutraSweet, you said, man, it makes my Pepsi taste good. But I keep getting headaches. And then they found out one day, oh, uh, that stuff we told you was really good is really bad for you. So let's stop drinking that. Well, you didn't, he, the government didn't start, you know, these doctors don't start, start telling you, I don't want your Pepsi to taste good anymore. I'm telling you, the NutraSweet will damage your health. So don't do that anymore. So all of a sudden, you have a power to resist NutraSweet, not because it don't taste good, because it does taste good, but you don't want it to kill you. That's the way sin is in our lives. Sin brings forth death. The law of the Spirit gives us life. So when we begin to speak life and we begin to work in the law and the realm of the Spirit, some people in the church get uncomfortable. They're like, I, I don't want no supernatural spooky tooth tongue-talking, devil-chasing, prophesying. I don't want none of that. I don't want none of that. I'm like, okay, do it your way. There's a thousand dead churches out there you can attend and be very comfortable. But 
we're building this church for the folks who want it. You say, well, I like your church, but I don't like, I've had, I've, I've had this spoken to me all the time. I like your church, but I don't want that stuff. If you'd stop that stuff, I'd come to your church. I'd say, well, guess what? Here's what you don't understand. The part you like is the fruit of what you don't like. Well, why is my church so dead? Because they don't have the life of the Spirit. Well, the life of the Spirit, then you all got all these tongues and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And guess what gives us all the life in the church? Ellie didn't get that song except by the Holy Ghost. That came out of an inspiration of the Spirit. Now, when we begin to, you know, people say, why do you make such a big deal of tongues? Because it is the on-ramp to the Holy Ghost manifestations in the church. It's been the on-ramp since the day that it happened. What was the first thing they did when the Holy Ghost poured out on them? They spoke in tongues. First thing they did. First thing they did. Walked out in the streets speaking in tongues. And they thought, you're drunk. You guys have been up there partying in the upper room at nine in the morning. And Peter said, no, these aren't drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God. I'll pour out my spirit on how, long, how many people? And all is in the Greek, all. In the Hebrew, all. Right? And your sons and daughters shall... And then he tells us some other things. Your young men will what? You know, we have people come up almost every service. You know, they'll, they, you know, we have a protocol in the church. If you think you got an inspired utterance from God, whether it's a, I had a vision. We have a lot of young people come up. Dennis, I had a vision. Okay. What was your vision? Okay, well, that fits. Okay, we'll do it this service. Well, that don't really fit right now, but hold that. We'll find a place to work it in. That's called administration of the gifts. And that's the decently in an order Paul talked about. You have to do the gifts decently and in order. You know how many times we've brought up those tongue scriptures and people say, why do you do that? I mean, some of our home folk get sick of it. They're like, you don't have to do that every time. I say, yes, because we have guests every service who've never seen anything like this before, and they need to have a context. They need to have an attaching point for their faith. What just happened? One of my funniest stories, this happened probably five or, well, probably six, seven years ago. There was a new guy coming to the church, and he was very uneasy, and he was standing right back by that door right behind that where the camera stand is and he was standing there during a worship service and we kind of had a, a a law in the music and whoever gave the tongue that day gave it at a full Charlie Rowan volume when you give a tongue remember there are guests in the house with this guy literally came up to Dennis or one of the ushers after the service. And he said, dude, 
That guy yelled and scared the crap of me. He said, I went for my gun. He was packing. He goes, I went for my gun, man. I'm like, he's something crazy going on here. So what we did, we bring up the scriptures. Now, we just had a prophetic tongue. Some people say, you don't need to interrupt the service and do that. Well, not for you. But everybody say, we're doing this for everybody. Just like I didn't have to read Joel and Acts 2.14 to teach on prophecy. But we have people here who maybe never heard me teach this before. Every service we have guests. So we have to bring things in and line things up. And it also serves to teach you. You teach other people. You meet. You're working with somebody. And they say something. Them crazy tongue talkers. You say, do you know where that came from? Let me show you. Pastor Dave was just teaching on this last night. Let's go to Joel 2 in your Bible. And then let's run over to Acts 2.14. Did you know the Bible said all that? Well, I didn't know that. I didn't either till somebody taught me. So then you become the preachers, and you become the ones who go out and stir faith in the community for them that will hear it. And like I say, there'll be some that will never hear this. And Why? I think it's culture and hardness of heart. You know, Kevin brought a message here several years ago. He said, what's stronger, the anointing or tradition? What's stronger? And everybody said, the anointing. He said, really? He said, how about this verse that Jesus spoke? He said, you've made the word of God have no effect because of your tradition. That's what he told his peers. He said, you've made God's word have no effect, have no power because of your tradition. So the tradition in the American church that gives the Holy Spirit have vanished, have made his word that says they haven't ineffective for most people's lives. But I'm telling you, the beautiful thing about the Holy Ghost is he will find the people like me and the people like you who say, oh, no, no, I, I believe that. Because when he woke me up, <laughs> you, could, you, you couldn't drag this thing out of me with a team of horses. Why? I've experienced it. To tell me this stuff ain't real would be like trying to tell me that is not real. And no, in fact, it would be even worse than that. Because that could be fake wood. <laughs> I think that is, no, that is real wood. I remember when we made that. So, God's going to do this thing, and he says, they shall prophesy. He's, and, and so when we look at that, the word prophecy here, it's in the Greek, it's, it's the word propheteo, propheteo. And in the verb sense, it's the act of revealing something that is hidden disclosing the will of God or foretelling the future. Okay? That's the verb sense. In the noun, it means to have the ability to deliver representative declarations of the mind, will, or knowledge of God. Now, if you'll notice, and you heard it tonight, I've taught you all, when you prophesy, don't say, thus saith the Lord, especially not when you're young in this. 
Why? Because you're learning. Here's another thing. The church doesn't want anybody to learn. They want everybody to be perfect. So if you're going to prophesy, it better be perfect, and you better be like Moses. You better be like Moses. If you're going to prophesy, you better be like Ezekiel or Jeremiah. They don't want kids, they don't want people to grow up in the gifts. When in fact, the scriptures tell us that we're supposed to check everything that's said and compare it and judge it to see if that was truly God or not. People don't want to do that. Why? That's messy. See, it'd be, it'd be something if Ellie started prophesying and I walked up and said, hey, Ellie, hey, Ellie, that ain't right. How I many of y'all know that would be awkward? It would be an awkward, and we've had to do that. We try to do it in a way that's not embarrassing to people, but we're, we're learning. We got training wheels on in this church. When these kids get up and prophesy, half of it's emotion, a quarter of it is their opinion, and then there's a piece of God in it. But I encourage them to go on. You know, if, if we have one of our little 11-year-old kids come up here and they say, I got a prophet. You know, when, you, when they prophesy, they usually go, like at a 10, right? Did you go back and watch the conference? The night Kevin started pulling kids up? And they, well, I started it first, and then he kept, them kids would come up and they're like, ah! And I'm like, that was half emotion. Maybe an eighth opinion and about three-eighths Jesus. Everybody say, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Do you know when the Lord drops a prophetic word in you and the Lord nudges you to prophesy? Do you know he's working through your brain? He's working through your spirit. He's working through your emotions, and he's also working through your history. He's got a lot to work through. Kevin tells a beautiful story one time, and uh, I've heard him tell the story for 30 years. He was down preaching in another nation, and, and they brought him out an interpreter that was just horrible. He said this guy was the biggest wimp and he said he was not interpreting well at all. And so he said, that night I went back to the hotel and I said, Lord, you got to get me a new interpreter. My interpreter is horrible. And the Lord said, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> Everything I do is through horrible interpreters. But he still does it. I was real mad one day because I saw a bunch of flesh in a meeting. And again, my mentor in prophecy, Kevin Leal. I'm, I'm, I'm mad because I'm watching stuff on the stage that should not be happening. And Kevin was in the office preparing his message. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. Man, I'm sitting there and I'm watching a worship team, in my estimation, making a fool of themselves. It was so fleshy, it was stupid. And I walked out. I couldn't take it anymore. I just, I walked out and I walked in the office. And I'll never forget this. This was like 25 years ago. No, it was longer. It was almost 30 years ago. And Kevin, this is when laptop computers first started. 
And Kevin is sitting there at the desk. I think we were in the pastor's office, and he's typing on his computer, working on his notes. And he looks up at me over his glasses, you know, and he goes, pretty bad out there, Doc. I said, bad? It's demonic. And he goes, hey, 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 Chisholm, man, chill out. I said, brother, there is no, this is ridiculous. He goes, Chisholm, Chisholm, settle down. He goes, let me ask you a question. Now, I had preached the first two nights, and I think he did the second two nights. He goes, God moved Monday night? Yes. God moved Tuesday night? Yes. God's going to move tonight? Yes. He looked at me, he said, maybe God ain't as upset about this as you are. I went, uh. and then he said these words. He said, David, he said, listen, you can't help these people if you're mad at them. It was like, mm. I'm sorry, Jesus. And I walked out there, and we had a move of God that night. And God, Kevin used to do this one illustration in messages. And he would say, you know, back, still in certain churches in this town, if you're a woman and you wear pants, or you cut your hair, or you put on makeup, and you walk in that church, you sure can't be saved. Do you know what the Bible says? Plating of the hair. Women should be modest. And he said, he goes, now just think about this. He said, let's think about how ridiculous we can get at times. He said, so here's God. He's coming in the room. We're having this awesome time of worship. And he's... Spirit of God starts moving. And all of a sudden he goes, Ah, Mary Kay, I can't move. I can't move. And leaves. Revlon. Ah! She cut her hair. And he said, that's what legalism does. You, th- you get these legalistic things sometimes in your brain and you think God thinks the same way you do. And that's what Jesus said, by your traditions. You realize we have one Torah. We have one, co- you know, we have Deuteronomy. So Genesis through Deuteronomy, the books, the first five books of the Bible is called the Torah, the law of Moses. Do you know in, in, in Judaism you have one Torah, but do you know they have Talmuds that you could fill this room from floor to ceiling with probably three times? And them are all rules that rabbis have made over the last several thousand years. And those rules were what Jesus was saying. You've, you've, you've by your tradition made my word have no power, no effect. And I, Kevin taught me 
that my personal holiness, and this is the thing I had to learn in my own life because I got so saved when I got saved, folks. I mean, to the point of, and it was for my love for Jesus. But when I tried to put that on other people, my love for Jesus became legalism to them. Well, in the same way today, we can, we can look at these gifts and we can try to say, if you're going to prophesy, you better be perfect. Really? And how's that working out? I've, I've been in this thing 40 years strong and I've yet to meet a prophet that is 100% accurate. So either they ain't none or God's doing something a little different. Well, we know he is. Why? He said, let the prophet speak two or three and then let the others judge what they just said. Why would we do that if they're prophets? What they just said is the word of the Lord, you know, except for when they said Trump would be reelected. These are the big boys. Come on, man. These are the national prophets. These are the guys that get the big offerings, flying jets. I prophesy Donald Trump will be reelected. And the winner is Joe Biden. Yeah, but on January 6th, it'll be overturned. On March, it'll be overturned. And some folks still think he's president. Trump. I hope he gets reelected. I'm hoping he does. I don't want Biden again, but I ain't going to prophesy. But again, because, and you know, I'm telling you, man, I've had very, you know, I haven't had big success, but I've had a little bit of success in my life with ministry. And I can tell you how quickly the human heart can turn to pride. You nail two or three things, the next thing you know, you're the fourth member of the Godhead. You know, you get up and preach a sermon, and someone walks up and says, that was good, and you're Elijah. All of a sudden, you all that. It's amazing how quick the human heart can turn to pride. That's why Paul said, don't put a novice in a position of authority, or they'll get puffed up. They'll get the puff head devil. Pop goes the head. And crash and burn goes the vessel. Amen? So I, I, I love to, in a way, demystify the mystical. Because we gotta have real expect, realistic expectations of the prophetic, the ministry gifts that we have. Man, I tell you, my life has been shaped for 40 years by dreams, visions, and prophetic words. And I also have volumes of prophetic words spoken of me that were probably people's opinions that never happened and probably never will happen. I met a guy the other day up in Columbus who traveled with me, you know, 30 years ago. And I'll never forget. He said, do you meet them three millionaires yet? I said, I'm still waiting. Because <laughs> he was with me in a service where this lady prophet, and she wasn't a prophet. She was actually probably an evangelist. She called me out, said, you're going to meet three millionaires that are going to fund your ministry. 
One you're going to meet on an airplane. One you're going to meet at Walmart. And one will be in bib overhauls. Whatever man stand for a moment, I want to see what you're wearing tonight. You may be the one. Every time I walk in Walmart. Are you the one or do I seek another? You know, that was 30 years ago. And you know, when she gave me that word, I went, yeah, right. I, you know, again, people, whenever money, fame are tied to prophecies, I'm always leery. Because, you know, back in the 80s, every prophecy started with, God's calling you to the nations, every prophecy. God's calling you to the nations. I mean, it was like a broken record. Everyone who got prophesied to, the nations are calling your name. And I'm like, dude, they won't even witness to a neighbor. And they're going to go win Africa. You know what I mean? Give me a break. But every prophecy, like one thing you'll find with prophecies is they literally move in almost church cultural twins, (laughs) trends at times. And so again, these are things that I want to demystify it, make it realistic in the sense of, hey, we get some great prophetic words around here. But every word that's given, we go, okay, we'll see. We'll check it. Yeah, you know, that seems to, I don't see any scriptures that contradict that word. Could that be the Lord? Could that be the Lord? Well, let's just judge what Ellie did tonight. How many of y'all believe that was Ellie or the Holy Ghost in Ellie? I mean, we could judge it. Some people say, I think Ellie just, you know, got a little excited. No. We've watched her now up here leading worship for a year. That was the first. And that wasn't her. Because you know Ellie, right? That was not Ellie. That was a gift. That was Ellie (laughs) 2.0. Right? I have to get a hat, Ellie 2.0. Amen. That was Ellie under the unction of the Holy Ghost. And what that unction happened is when she caught the spirit of that song, just like this message I'm preaching tonight, when you catch the spirit of the word and then you have a faith to pronounce it, then that faith becomes something that people can catch. It becomes something that people can grab hold of. It's the power of prophecy. So the word in the, in the noun, I like this, to the ability to deliver representative declarations of the mind, will, or knowledge of God. So some, somebody's in worship service and their heart starts kind of beating and then all of a sudden they, I got a word. So they come up and they get their mic. I just feel like the Lord is saying, and I always say this, and this is for your own protection. I believe I hear the Lord say, or I feel like I hear the Lord say, not thus saith the Lord, because now you're, in, you're, you're, you're stuck. 
If you declare, thus saith the Lord, now you're saying, this ain't anything you are allowed to judge because I just pulled the God card. This is the trump card of the deck. Joker, right? I can trump anything in the deck. You can't correct me if I say, thus saith the Lord. Who's going to correct God? That's why I'm always very, even when you're seeking counsel, somebody walks in marvelous and, you know, most Christians and most church members very seldom ask our counsel. They tell us what they're doing and want us to bless it. You might as well say guilty because we've all done it. They don't come in and say, you know, I, I'm thinking, am I, I might supposed to be, should I do this? Should I make this, this, or this, or this? Because I don't want to make a mistake, but I feel like I'm, what's that sound like to you? That's counsel. They said, well, God told me to do this, this, and this. Okay. Hope it works out for you because you pulled the God card. Well, how can I have confidence that the voice of God is real or speaking? In a multitude of counsel, you will find safety. How many times does the Bible talk about it? Read the book of Proverbs one more time. In a multitude of counsel, there is safety. When I go to make major decisions in my life, and I go and I walk up to, you know, I walk up to Joe and say, God told me, Joe, I'm going to tell you what he told me. He told me that I'm supposed to sell my house and I'm supposed to live on the streets for a week. And then he's going to give me a new house. That's what he told me. And Joe smiles at me and says, really? I said, that's what he told me. Joe says, hope it all works out for you. But I do have a spare bedroom. <laughs> if it don't, he's being merciful. You know, I do have a spare bedroom. You know, if you find yourself like, if the weather starts getting cold and the week's over and you don't have the new house, uh, I'll put you up till we find you a new place, you know. But when you walk up and you say, man, I feel like God just told me, sell your house, live on the street for a week, and he's going to give you a new house. I'm going to look at you right now. I'm going to say, that's crazy. And I highly suspect that was actually a demon who's trying to make you homeless and mad at God. Bible says there's so many voices. Test the spirits. Test who? The spirits. What spirits? The ones talking to you. You know one thing about God? He does make sense most of the time. He usually makes sense when he speaks. He's pretty smart. And so if a voice is telling you to do something pretty stupid, and eight people judge it stupid, and then you say, no, bless God, I know what I heard. I do too. You heard a demon. Stop before you make shipwreck in your life. I've had people tell me, God told me that that's my wife. I said, no, no, she's married to him. I'm not joking. That's happened twice. I was sitting in this church, and God spoke to me and said, that's your wife. 
I said, bro, she's married to him. And you're married to her. Unless God's starting wife swapping, we got a problem. Get you an upside down pineapple or something. But no, that ain't God, brother. That's your swinging spirit from the past trying to come back on you. What I'm saying, my gosh. Do you know, there was a group of prophets down in Georgia, man. This happened in like the late 80s. There was a group of prophets. And there was a guy that led them. And all of a sudden, man, stuff starts coming out. And these people are preaching all over the nation in big conferences. And people start saying, well, you know, they have women in the church. They're called TPs. TPs. Temple prostitutes. Because the man of God needs servicing. Oh, no, I'm serious. These are people that are prophesying, working miracles. These are people that are on every page of Charisma magazine. Oh, yeah. All in the name of Jesus. But you can't touch God's anointed. See, they use that verse to cover all their immorality. Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Well, you show me a real prophet and I won't do him any harm. And you show me somebody really anointed and I sure ain't going to touch it. But there's a lot of people that are real annoying, not real anointed. And they're prophesying instead of prophesying. And they're prophesying for gain. (laughs) I'm telling you folks, I've seen it. It's crazy. Some of the stuff I've seen. Jeepers. And I've watched people start off as pure as gold. And they get a little success. And next thing you know, and it always comes back to this. The first key to judging prophetic ministry is the morality of the vessel, the prophecies coming through. Because an immoral vessel will not put forth clean water. Not to say the gift isn't real, and not to say the gift isn't of God, but he has to work through a vessel. And if that vessel's dirty... You know, like that mother that her kids came in and she was a strict Christian mother and they said, Mom, we want to go to the movie. And uh, they did the nanny scope on it and that only had like eight cuss words in the movie. And these little kids said, "We, it's only eight cuss words. And the mom said, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to go in there and bake a batch of cookies. And if you eat the cookies, you can go to the movie. <laughs> well, I love your cookies. I said, okay, okay, I'm going to go eat your cook. I'm going to go bake the cookies. If you eat the cookies, you can go to the movie. So she went in the kitchen, disappeared for an hour, and she come out with a big tray, a big plate of cookies, and set them down. And the kids went to, she said, before you eat it, I went out in the yard, and I picked up a dog turd. And I just cut a little sliver off of it, and I mixed it in the dough. Just a sliver. So if you eat the cookies, you can go to the movie. You think they went to the movie? (laughs) Would you? (laughs) So, 
prophetic ministry. You know, you got to remember this. People say, well, if it's a gift of God, how could it work if the person is immoral? The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That means once he puts a gift in you, he never takes it out. The gift is always there. Why? As soon as I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. And then when you get there, I'm going to tell you. I don't know. That's the way he is. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. They're irrevocable. He put himself in a limit that he cannot take it back. It's his own law. So what happens is, again, you know, the, that's why the Bible says, lay hands on no man suddenly, know them that labor among you. Why? Because morals, you know, Paul said, Evil company corrupts good behavior. So your morals can pollute the gift. Is the boy a prophet? Yeah. But he's a sipping prophet, and he's a smoking prophet, and he's a cursing prophet, and he's a sleeping around prophet, and so I don't want him laying his hands on me, and I'm not going to take any of his prophetic ministry. You know what God told Israel about the false prophets? He said, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Why? Because that gift was real. Do you remember when God moved on Balaam? Balaam was into sorcery. And God used him to prophesy over Israel. And Balaam was mad. That's when he had to have the donkey turn and speak to him. Think about that. Think about that. Bam. But he, he couldn't curse Israel. He could only bless Israel. And he was mad about it. So you know what he did? After all that, he said, I'm going to tell you how to get them. I can't curse them. God won't, God won't, my words won't work. He said, but here's what I want you to do. He said, one thing about them young Israelite studs they like the women they like the pretty girls and you got all these pretty women begin to send your pretty women into their camp and seduce them and then get them into sexual sin and if you get them in sin then i can curse them that's what balaam did you know and in the book of jude it gives us a couple of serious characters they went aired in the doctrine or the, the council of Balaam made it clear up to the book of Jude. So again, when we look at prophecy, I want to know, are you living clean? Are you living clean? Well, is my prophetic word still good? It might be, it might not. There's a mixture. It's called profaning the holy. And so we want to know, are you living clean? Are you living pure? You know, people that don't live clean and pure, I don't want them laying hands on me. I don't want them speaking into my life. Why? It's a polluted vessel. Is the gift of God real? Yes. Is the gift of God? Yes, it is. But guess what? Not for me. Not for me. All right, now let's look at Romans 12, 6. And again, I'm not telling you all this to get you all not to prophesy or to get you all not to. I'm just saying, 
if we don't address this stuff, then we get kooky. If we don't address it, we get kooky. If we do address it, we keep the train on the tracks. Amen. We do everything decently in order. We judge what is prophesied. And we say, you know, I, I mean, I've had people give words and against, well, you know, that one we'll have to see. Maybe it was the Lord, maybe it wasn't. I've given words that I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I missed it on that one. But if someone starts giving you detailed words, for example, I tell people, stay away from times. Because most people in this day and age, when they get in trouble with prophecy, it's when they add a calendar to their prophecy. When you say, I believe the Lord says, this year, in the next month, well, you better be in the prophet's office when you do that. Don't prophesy who's to marry who. Unless you're ready for them to move in with you after the divorce. I'm just telling you. Do you know how many people have come to me over the years, and I have seen beautiful, wonderful, Holy Ghost-filled people wrecked in a church because I know God told me that was my husband, or I know God told me that was my wife, and the other person had no interest. And I've watched them become stalkers to a point where we had to pull them in the office and say, leave them alone. They don't want to date you. I know what God said. I've actually had them bow up in the office. I know what God said. That's my husband. Or that's my, I'm like, sorry. They don't think so. So leave them alone. You're making this very awkward. And now I've had people literally get offended and leave the church over stuff like that. Don't be prophesying somebody's husband. Be careful on, oh, you're going to have a boy. I believe the Lord told me you're going to have a boy. Well, it better be coming out with the plumbing of a boy. <laughs> or you're going to look pretty silly like I did one time with my daughter, Nicole, who was a boy named Philip. That's another story. The worst disasters of my life. And you know what's crazy about that? After I had that false word, put my wife through all kinds of stuff. She's looking at me very innocently like, she's like, I know exactly what you did. She would love to come up here and take this mic right now and throw me under the stage. Because I mean, I, I really put her through it on that one. But you know what's crazy? After that, she gets pregnant again. Now, I, in the first pregnancy, I was, I was, I remember the day it happened. I was going to take an afternoon nap. I laid down on the bed, and I was just in that air, like twilight, between sleep and awake, and I heard a voice, Philip. I come up out of that bed. See, we hadn't had, you know, they didn't do ultrasounds then. You found out it was a birthday surprise. And so... I told Kyung, we're going to have a boy. His name is Philip. And then I remember telling the Lord, I don't really even like that name. So I thought to myself, it's got to have some kind of deep spiritual meaning. So I went and got a baby name dictionary and I looked it up. And in the Greek, it meant lover of horses. I'm like, crap. 
Strike two. I don't like the name. Has no spiritual meaning. It was bad. Guys, this went on for months. I told everybody, Isaiah, I told my Bible college director, I told my pastor, I told all my friends in Bible college, I went to work. I remember one day, my first guy I ever led to the Lord, Jimmy Banks, I'll never forget it. I walked up, I said, Jimmy, God spoke to me. He said, uh, Kyung's going to have a boy, and his name's going to be Philip. And Jimmy, I'll never forget, he was such a good guy. He looked at me, he said, David, I believe you're a prophet of God. (laughs) And if you say you're going to have a boy named Philip, then so be it. I remember that. I went to the doctor. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, yeah, it's a boy. He said, oh, really? I said, oh, yeah. How do you know it's a boy, Dave? God told me. Oh, God told you. So the day she goes into labor, I'm in the hospital. So I'm praying in tongues. I'm like, God, give us a spirit-filled nurse. So all of a sudden, this lady walks in. I said, are you our nurse? She said, yes. And I said, are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, you pray in tongues? She said, yes. I said, hallelujah. I said, she's going to have a boy. His name's Philip. (laughs) But there's more. So I'm, I'm in the delivery room now, right? Dr. Garcia, I'll never forget him. Nice guy. I'll never forget I'm, I'm in the position, and I actually took a tape recorder in there. We didn't have video back then. I just had a little cassette recorder, one of them little like ones you'd strap, a little Walkman thing. I had a little tape recorder, and I go in there, and so, you know, Kyung's, and I'm... And all of a sudden, he goes, look at that head of hair. I'm like, yeah. Come on, Phil. (laughs) And all of a sudden, that baby slipped out. And Dr. Garcia said, it's a girl. (laughs) And I I had the recording. I said, it's a girl. (laughs) Son. Listen, the prophet, David, died. If I thought that day I could commit suicide and go to heaven, I'd have blowed my brains out. I have never been so humiliated. I have never, folks, listen, it was bad. And I want to tell you, the body of Christ was gracious. They were. It was Phyllis. (laughs) If I would have named Nicole Phyllis, she would have killed me. Anyway. But you know, it was funny, because I'm going to tell you, the body of Christ was gracious. But for one year, I barely spoke to God. I went through the motions, like some people said, I'm just going through the motions. I understand. I went through the motions for a year. I went to Bible college. I went preaching to jail twice a week. I did everything I was supposed to do, but it was like, oh, I'll say what you say. I'll never, ever, 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 ever again say anything unless it's written in the Bible. True story. I said, look what you did to me. I heard a voice, brother. 
tell me I didn't hear a voice. But no one really taught me about testing the spirits. Did I hear a voice? Yes, I heard a voice. I mean, I'm not dumb. I heard a voice. So now we fast forward two years, and uh, my wife's pregnant again. Now we're up in Ohio planting our first church. And so Keon one day was going to Columbus to go with one of her friends to go up and shop or something. And I said, I'm going to stay home and pray all day. And so I'm, I'm, I'm in the woods. We lived in a mobile home out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm just praying that day. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to pray? What do you want me to read? What do you want me to read? And I just, I kept, I kept feeling pulled to the Song of Solomon. I'm like, you know, I've told you, that's my least favorite book. It's chick flick. God's chick flick right there. Oh, come run with me. I'm like, no. I'm just not a romantic like that. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I'm bad. I'm bad. But anyway, um, so I'm like, okay, okay. So I read the whole book, and I'm nothing. I'm like, nothing. So the Lord says, read it again. You ever watch a bad movie twice? It's like, so I read it again. Read the whole book of the Song of Solomon, you know, and I get through it, and I'm like, Lord, why am I reading this? I get nothing out of this. And all of a sudden, it was like it was like a rewind, and there was this word. It's in there twice. Twin. And so I go back through again, and I'm looking, and it says, twin, twin. I said, she got twins? Yeah, she got twins. I'm like, oh, no, we ain't going here again. No, 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 God, no, 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 no. He said, well, you said you wouldn't say it unless it was written in my word. Oh, man, trapped by God. So, <laughs> Kion comes home, and, and she walks in, and she just looks at me and goes, what? I said, nothing. <laughs> she goes, what? And she gets just, I said, nothing. What's wrong with you? I said, nothing. She goes, oh, no, something's wrong with you. I said, nothing. She goes, what? And I said, you'll find out next week. Because we had an appointment with the doctor. <laughs> Portsmouth Hospital. Down over in Ohio. An appointment with the doctor. So we go in there and they take her in to do an ultrasound. Now we have that technology. And uh, so the nurse comes out of the room and I said, can I go in now? And she said, you can't go in. First you have to talk to the doctor. And I said, well, I already know. And she said, no, what? I said, she got twins. She goes, how do you know that? I said, God told me. She said, well, if you already know, come on in. True story. I went, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I have had my times. All right, Romans 12. Six-minute rabbit trail. 
but remember it because it may happen to you. I could spend another two hours talking about the humiliation and the one year of living in, I mean, I was in outer darkness, man. I was, I seriously, I was ready to walk away from everything. I was ready to catch, I said, if that's not real, nothing's real. It was bad. Thank God I went through the motions for a long time. Thank God I didn't quit. I wanted to. Man, I wanted to, but I didn't. Thank God he gave me the strength to get through my own foolishness. Romans 12, 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us, what? Use them. This is where we get a lot of problem in the church. You know, in this church, probably, I'm going to say we have a very high percentage of users. <laughs> Boy, that did sound good, did it? <laughs> Gift users. We have a higher percentage than probably, I'm going to say 95% of the churches in America. But even in this church, we have a low percentage when it comes to everybody has been given a grace gift, and not everybody is using them. But he wants us to use them. Why else did he give them to us? And you know why we don't use them? I mean, we have all these reasons, these excuses. We, well, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know how, or I don't, I don't do that, or I don't speak in front of people, or I, I just don't know if God will do it if I step out. I mean, we have all these reasons, but He said, "Let us use them." Having then these grace gifts given to us, let us use them. If prophecy. Let us prophesy, and here's the key. Listen, everyone, if you're in a room and you believe that God has revealed to you in some dimension or measure that you have a gift of prophecy, lift your hand up. Come on, lift your hand up. Come on, I know there's more in you than this. That's a gift in you, okay? Now, how do I do that? In proportion. To what? Your faith. Your faith. You gotta prophesy in proportion to your faith. And you don't start by commanding a mountain to be thrown into the sea. You don't go out here to Fancy Gap on 77 and say, the highest mountain in this mountain range, head to the Atlantic. That's not how you start. You prophesy in proportion to your faith. What, what do you believe? What do you, well, your faith is what you believe can really happen. Don't prophesy something if you don't believe it can really happen or is really going to happen. So your faith is the assurance of the thing you, you, you're hearing. I, man, I know this is God. I mean, there's times I've walked up to people and I said, I believe I hear the Lord saying, there's a few times where I said, look, I'm telling you, man, 
I really believe this is God. I'm telling you, I really, really, really believe this is God. So I would listen to this. And I'm not a prophet, but I prophesy. And when I prophesy, my gift works in a proportion of faith. And I don't prophesy a whole lot in this church. And you know why? Because I know so many people. When I do prophesy, I love prophesying over someone I don't know anything about. Why? Well, if I know something about you, you know, if one of the other leaders comes and says, hey, I met with so-and-so, and they told me this and this and this, and, then, and I believe me, I see a lot of, quote, prophets that do this. And then they get all that information, and then the next service, I got a word for you. And they call you up, and they give you their opinion about what someone else told them about what you were going through. And call it prophecy. You know? We had that happen in this church more than once. You know, somebody come up and say, you know, they gave me this word, but I know for a fact that so-and-so had told them I was going through this. And I said, well, then let's call it a word of encouragement. Let's not call it, thus saith the Lord. Because remember, prophecy is what? It is speaking as a representative of God, of God's declarations, of his mind, his will, or his knowledge. So when I say, man, I believe I hear the Lord saying, it should be something that I'm not really knowing in the natural if I already know that about you, then I should say, you know what? I felt like the Lord wanted me to encourage you. That's cool. I know you're going through some stuff, but I really believe the Lord wants me to just say, bro, it's going to be all right. That's a gift. That's called exhortation, encouragement. Encouragement is a gift. But prophecy, it comes from a divine revelation, either through a knowing or a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. I just, you know, sometimes I get words of wisdom on things. Not every time, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I get dream interpretations. People bring me dreams almost every week. And some of them I say, I don't know, man. I don't know. Keep praying on that one. I'm not really getting that. Other things, someone come up and hand me a dream the other day, and I said, well, I know exactly what that means. And it's just like, boom, 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 boom. That's what this is. And it's just like it comes to me just like that. I don't try to make something up, or I don't start saying, okay, I'm going to go get a dream dictionary. I'm going to go get Freud's book on dreams. And I'm going to start saying, okay, let's see. What did you see? I saw a red keyboard. Well, let me look up red keyboard. Well, a red keyboard in a dream means, well, those dream books, a lot of psychology in it, and God doesn't use Freud's interpretation for your dreams. He speaks to you in your language. So a red keyboard might mean something to me that it doesn't mean to you. You hear me? Now, we do find there are some similarities in, in dreams, but that's another message. But I'm just telling you, with this prophetic word, there's a divine revelation involved in it, if you're going to call it prophecy. Or there is a foretelling or a foretelling. And I love what Kevin teaches on this. He said there's foretelling prophecy and there's forthtelling prophecy. Foretelling is a future event predicted. 
Forthtelling is a declaration of God's will. You, you see the difference? For I believe the Lord would say tonight, Be holy, my people. Be holy, for I'm coming soon. And I am coming with fire in my eyes and a sword in my hand. I will execute judgment on the ungodly. So hear me tonight. Be holy, my people. That's forth telling. But when I say I predict or I foretell or I prophesy that Donald Trump will win the election next year or this year, (laughs) time goes quick, then he better win or I'm going to be eating crow. Instead of chicken. You hear me? So again, when you prophesy, and we want you to prophesy, and we want you to do it in ways that will keep you safe, keep the people around you, keep the church safe, but yet you can learn and grow, and you're going to get better and better. How many of you have watched Braden? Like Braden's word tonight? Dude, where's Gary at? Was that on? Spot on, he says. Gary had this meltdown experience when right before and during the conference, and Gary come up to me, he goes, this is freaky. I said, what? He goes, I start praying for people. I just start seeing into their souls. I said, yeah. He goes, this is crazy. And he said, and then I tell the people what I see, and they're like, yeah, that's right. I said, that's how the gift works. And he's like, dude, this is crazy. And I said, no, that's really kingdom normal. You've just been so hard-headed and hard-hearted that God's gift couldn't flow through you till now. Are you hearing me? So he got broke. And now God can ride him. You know, God's kind of like, you know, he breaks you. So it's kind of like if you're an old maverick stallion bucking around the field, you throw Jesus off every time he tries to get on your back, you throw him off. He's got to break your will and break your spirit, then he can ride you. Amen? Come on up, guys. I could go all night. I love this stuff. Amen. Hallelujah. Prophesy. 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 I love it. They shall prophesy. So when we stir up these gifts, man, you get something? Let us know. We'll, 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 we'll put you up. We'll put you up. See how you do. If you mess up, man, we'll be nice about it. Yeah, that might not be God. We'll, let's work on that. We'll try it again next week. We ain't going, you false prophet ushers, take them out in the parking lot, stone them. Like in the Old Testament. No, no, no. That's not how it works in the church. And it's not how God designed it. Let the prophets speak two or three. Let the others judge. Amen? Let them judge what? What's said? Was it in the right spirit? You know, sometimes you can have the right words and the wrong attitude. Amen? Amen? 